You guys remember your first job? Anybody? Remember first job? Yeah? Okay. I asked this morning, what was your first job? And everybody was like, whoa, 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 whoa. So I want to ask what everybody's job was at first. My first job, not kind of the job that I had back in Korea when, you know, we helped around the house. My first job that actually got paid was when I was 12 years old. I, del- I, delivered, I delivered prescriptions. I was 12 years old. I was sixth grade. And a friend of mine was working at this, uh, this uh, pharmacy, <laughs> this pharmacy. And he's like, hey, uh, our pharmacy's looking for another guy to deliver, you know, prescription drugs. So will you work? And so my friend got me this job. I was 12 years old. And so every day what I would do is after school, I would go to Kirschenbaum's, owned by this nice little Jewish guy. And we'd have rows of bags of prescriptions with the addresses on them. And we'd put them in our backpacks. And I'd ride my little Schwinn bicycle all over the north side. Uh, the, it was right at the corner of Devon and Western. And I'd go to, like, Platt and, like, Peterson. I mean, there's just all kind all over the city. And I got paid like $2 an hour. And I remember, <laughs> it is funny. Now I think about it, Daniel. It was like child labor was what it was, right? Which totally like, anyway. So I got paid $2 an hour. Here's what I did, man. I saved and I saved and I saved and I saved. And I went, I, just, I distinctly remember, I, and by the way, my parents didn't even know that I was working, like, until, like, I was like, why are you coming home so late? I was like, oh, I'm working. Working, doing what? I'm delivering prescriptions. So I remember saving that money. I saved, like, $25. And I remember I bought my first pair of gym shoes. Like, me, my first pair of gym shoes. I remember walking into this athletic store, my first pair of these little Converse sneakers. Some of y'all clarity White everywhere, white shoelaces, white leather, white everywhere, you know. Um, and I remember buying, and I remember just buying it, walking out of the store, and feeling this enormous sense of like accomplishment, you know, like I did, I did that. And I remember feeling this enormous sense of that was worthwhile. This enormous sense of what I do matters. This enormous sense of working, job, even as a twelve. Year old. I shared last week that 80-90% of my counseling sessions at some point intersect with your job and your work. Just talking to a married couple. Marriage is falling apart. Why? Husband and wife. Working so busy so many hours, they don't have time for each other. So the issue is marriage. But it doesn't really work. <laughs> if you're a single young adult, hello, 90% of my at some point has to deal with job, vocation, work, why you do what you do. College students! Mature. What's my God? What's God's will for my life? What does he want me to do? I get these questions. Have you asked these questions? These are some of the questions that are often asked. Questions like, do you believe that your job matters to God? What does it mean to be in business and glorify God? Bless others. How does Christ want me to engage the healthcare sector? Does being an artist matter to God? How do I serve in the public school system and, I, and, and, and follow, be a follower of Christ? Apart from being dishonest, does what I do and how I, how I run my business matter? I've been offered two jobs. How do I discern which one to take? I don't know what I want to do with my life. How do I figure it out? I love this one. I hate my boss. Is that wrong? I hate my job. Is that wrong? 
Does being a stay-at-home mom glorify God? Is there such thing as a perfect job that I was made for? Is it wrong to find ultimate meaning in what I do for a living? Does my work have any meaning apart from the money that I give to the church? Is organizing a Bible study or a prayer meeting the only way that I glorify God through my job? I mean, these questions and more are at the center and heart of a lot of what ails us. Uh, Genesis, open your Bibles to Genesis, you guys, because the book of Genesis, particularly chapters 1 and 2, which we looked at briefly last week, in Genesis 1 and 2, we find essentially the answers to the big question in life, the whys and the what fors, foundational things about what it means to be a human being, what it means to live, what it means to, 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 to function and flourish in the life that God has called us to. In Genesis 1 and 2, there's two things that we find over and over again, work and rest. Work and rest. Work and rest. It's as if God was coming and saying, more than anything else, this is right here, life and death issue. If you don't get your head around and have a correct biblical perspective about work and rest, it will be spiritually, physically, emotionally, and yes, for a lot of us, mentally, an utterly devastating experience. Now, here's the thing, though. What the Bible has to say about job vocation couldn't be more different for you and I think. And let's talk, let's look, and that's what we've been talking about. Look at Genesis chapter 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were complete in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Verse 7, jump down. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Verse 8, now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden. And there he put the man he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye, good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. In verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. Everybody, look up here. Remember what we said last week? This is perfection. This is paradise. This is garden of Eden. This is exactly the way God wants it. There's beauty. There's sex. There's relationship. There's all kinds of things. And in it, in perfection, there is what? There's work. This is before the fall, before sin, before evil, before Satan coming and tempting. When God had everything the way he wants it to, there is work for us to do. How many of us grew up in churches or heard somewhere, work is a curse. Work is worth of sin. And so when we get to, I love this one, when we get to heaven, we're not going to have to work. Woohoo! God says, when everything was exactly the way I wanted it, there was work. You know what sin has done, though? Sin has twisted what God intended work to be. What do I mean? You know what our priority is when it comes to work? Our priority is what? Where I work, work, and how much. Where I work and how much. We're consumed with where I work, how much. Where I work, how much. And God comes along and says, what I'm concerned with is how you do your work where you are. If your perspective about life and work is where I work, it stinks, I hate it, my boss, da-da-da, or how much I get paid, if I could only make more money, if I was able to, and God goes, that's what sin has done in terms of twisting our perspective. Because when God created work, his perspective on work was not about where and how much, but how you do your work where you are. And our perspective couldn't be more different. So you know what there is? There's frustration. There's strife. There's angst. There's, I don't want to. Why? God says, could it be that your perspective on work 
is counterintuitive to what God intended for us. Anybody? Anybody? So what do we learn about work? Here we go. What do we learn about work? Foundational things. One, all forms of work have intrinsic value. And man, some of you need to hear this today. All forms of work have intrinsic value. Why? Genesis 2.2. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And in case you're going, well, that's the kind of work that God does and kind of work. This is the same Hebrew word that's found in the Ten Commandments when God says, you shall work, but on the seventh day, you shall rest. Same Hebrew word. God's literally going, you know why you need to work? Because I'm a worker. We just sit there and go, okay, work, da, da, da. This context could not be more amazing. Why? Think about it. The Near Eastern setting and what they believed about work and the Western view. The Near Eastern setting was what? Gods don't work. A picture of God sitting, being fanned, right? And mere mortal creatures feeding them grapes. That's what we envision God's doing. Near Eastern view of work, gods don't work. Human beings work, so God can rest. Western perspective said what? Best exemplified by the Pandora's box story. Pandora's box is opened, and all this nasty, evil stuff comes, filling the earth like death and disease and work. (laughs) You're sitting there going, why do I think the work is so bad? Why do I think the work is a curse? Because your worldview is Greek mythology. And not biblical. You see what I'm saying? Many of us go, work. That's what, work. And God is the Bible writer of Genesis going the direct teeth of that and going, the creator God of the entire universe says, he works. And then the author of Genesis pushes us further though. Because look what it says. This is amazing truth. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostril the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Now the Lord God planted a garden in the east in Eden. And there he put the man he had formed. I shared this last week. The Greeks and Romans believed what? They believed that the soul and the spirit was divine and good. And the physical, the body, the matter was bad. So the whole goal in life for the spirit to be set free from the body. So therefore, their worldview said dirt, matter, ground. It's dirty, it's bad. Manual labor, don't do manual labor. Menial, don't do menial labor. So Socrates comes along, and philosophers go, if you really have to work, be a philosopher, be a teacher, be an artist, but don't touch the ground, don't get your hands dirty. And the author of Genesis goes, do you know who God is? God is a God with dirt under his fingernail. With dirt on his hands. Genesis says, you have a God who digs a ditch and plants a garden. And he says, good. This is why it was so revolutionary. Christianity, because Paul comes along in First Thessalonians. Look what he says. He says stuff like, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work. Say it with me. Work with your hands. What? Paul, do you know who you're talking to? And Paul goes, I know absolutely who I'm talking to. I'm talking to those of you who've been formed by a worldly perspective on work that says if you work with your hands, manual labor, manual labor is bad. And Paul goes, are you being shaped by what the world says or are you being shaped by what God says? You guys, think about trajectory of, his, of, trajectory of biblical redemption. Creation, incarnation, resurrection, consummation. You know what they all have in common? God with his hands in the dirt. Creation, God creating from the dust of the ground. Incarnation, God takes on a human being, a baby. Resurrection, 
rather than being freed from the spirit, God restores the body. Consummation, creating a perfect world. God with his hands. Two ramifications, right? Number one, in a church like ours, we have people in our church who sweep the streets for Chicago. And our world and our culture beat, beats you down and goes, what you do doesn't matter. Do you know what you need to remember? God with his hands in dirt. Some of us, moms, dads, we find our days with hands in our baby, the baby poop. All day long, baby poop, baby poop, baby poop. And moms are going, this is what I do matter. This is what I do. You know why what you do matters? You have a God with dirt under his fingernail. And then let me speak to some others of you. Because the reality is we grew up in a culture where some of us were professionals. We're in information technology. We have degrees. And we poo-poo and look down at people who do menial or manual labor. Do you know how socially healing they would be if Christians in this country actually believed this and treated all people with dignity and value? Can you imagine? Can you imagine America? We don't value or devalue someone because of how much money they make. Because in our culture, money equals you do something really important. We have a Bible that says when God decided to come down to earth, he didn't come as the Greeks expected, a philosopher. He didn't come as the Romans expected, a noble statesman. He certainly didn't come as the Jews expected, right? As a, as a general. He came what? As a, a carpenter. As I said last week, a union guy. Probably a Democrat. He rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. Hello? Okay, anyway. Sorry. I, didn't, I was surprised that nobody walked in this morning and said, you're making a political statement. I'm not. Honestly, I am neither Republican or Democrat. I just, I just think he was a carpenter, that's all. <laughs> you guys, when you get out of church today and you're eating out, watch how you treat people who serve your table. Watch how you treat people who bust your tables. Watch how you treat people who just cleans the streets for a living. Because if you really believe what the Bible says, you look at that person, you look at you, and you go, there's no difference in what we do. We are creating the image of God, doing work that matters to God, period. Let's keep going. What else does the Bible say? All forms of work, not only intrinsic value, but all forms of work are participation in God's work. And some of you guys, what I'm going to say, the next two points, this one, the next one. Carlton, what do you think? Was it kind of like... Important, what we'll share this morning. Do you think it's hard to grasp? No? Okay. All forms of work are participation in God's work. Genesis 1.26. And God said, let us make man in our image and our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over livestock, over all the earth, over all the creatures that move along the ground. God says, let my creation rule. Why? God says, because I'm a ruler. God says, I want to make man and woman in my image, in my likeness, and I'm going to give them responsibility. So here's God saying, I am creator God, and he goes, I make you, I create you in order to create. God embeds in our DNA, in our fundamental humanity, this desire and need to make, to create. What do I mean? Very important. The Bible, in the the Bible, Old Testament, Hebrew, Hebrew word for create, it's only used twice, three, time, uh, three times, and it's only used of God, word create. And it's when God creates out of nothing, okay, ex nihilo. So the word create is only used of God. But there's tons of other words that get to what J.R. Tolkien called sub-creation, like make, shape, form. 
And the Bible says that's what you and I have been created by God to do. In our innate being, in our DNA, is desire to do what the Spirit does in Genesis 1-1, where the Spirit hovers over the earth. There's formless and void. There's chaos. There's disorder. And the Spirit comes and takes existing material, and he creates something new out of it. And the Bible says, do you know that's what you and I are called to do? And if you don't do it, if I don't do it, then we feel this uselessness of us just choking the life out of us. What do I mean? Teachers, what do you do? You're taking a life, a human life. You're taking a child with amazing potential, undeveloped material. What are you doing? What are you doing? If you're a good teacher, what do you do? You take that life. You take that student. And because you have a vision for who that student can be, you're bringing out undeveloped material and giving them a vision for who they can be and what they can do. Is that powerful? Parents, what are you doing? Just watching over my kid. You have that child in front of you, and you're saying that there's limitless potential to what this child can be. And you're saying, why? My responsibility as a mom or a dad is as I spend my time with them, my job is to bring out what is in them, the gifts, the talents, and abilities God has placed in them and bring out something that's new, something that's undeveloped. Now, of course, those of us artists, we're like, that's easily relatable. I do that all the time. Give me a white canvas. Something new out of uh, existing material. There it is. We're sculptors. We're architects. But every single one of us, doctors, what do you do? Doctors, what do you do? What do you do? You take a body that's disordered. You take a body that's in chaos. You're taking a body that's falling apart. And you're doing what the Spirit of God does, which is what? Through your training, your healing, your restoring, putting together. Therapists, counselors, I'm just a counselor. I'm just, What? What are you doing? You're taking a disorderly life and you're saying, by my responsibility, by my job, I'm bringing order. I'm bringing direction. I'm giving this person a sense of meaning and purpose where they can be. I can go on and on and on. I love the imagery of the fact that the first job is this gardener. God goes, I want you to be a gardener. God creates and he goes, I want you. What does a gardener do? Gardener takes existing material and does something so that it produces something that's good for humanity, like food and like flowers. Something that meets our physical and emotional needs. Isn't that what musicians do? What do you do? You take raw material of sound, just sound, and you put it together. And, it, and you create music. Have you, have you ever had the experience of listening to a Beethoven or a Mozart or whatever your cup of tea is? Music that's just, and it's more than just this entertaining. Have you ever had a moment where you go, what they do? Just a raw sound, put it together, and create something that gives meaning, purpose, and to you. That's what you're called to do. Are you doing it? Do you realize what you do matters? Do you realize what you do matters? You and I are participating in the divine work of God. Oh, my goodness. Writers and actors, what do you do? Raw material of experience, raw material of stories, put it together, and you're creating something that gives meaning to people. Architects, what are you doing? Taking raw material, building bridges, buildings. I could go on and on and on. What do you do? That's partnering with the Spirit of God that's bringing order out of chaos and developing new material out of undeveloped material. How would your perspective change in life if you saw your job as, okay, we got to go further. Because not only are you participating in the work of God, this for me makes all the difference. 
Third thing that we're learning from this generous passage is all forms of work are ways of serving others. All forms of work are ways of serving others. How many of you guys know what deism is? You're deist. Do you know what that is? Practicing deist. Deism is this belief that there is a God, he created the world, and then he said, good luck, my version. The imagery is he winds up a clock, creation, and then he goes, and the clock just unwinds itself. Do you know how devastating it is if you're a Christian and your belief worldview is more of deist? Do you know how devastating it is when you go, I think God created the heavens and the earth, but, you know, he just kind of let it be and everything just... What would that mean to an unemployed person sitting here today who says, God has given me meaning and purpose for work, and yet he's not in control. It's just chance. It's just coincidence. It's just whatever the world economy says. But not only that, but do you know how devastating it is to you and me and our faith system when we fail to realize that God isn't just creator and says, good luck, but he says, I am involved. Every day, every minute, every second in caring for, in loving, in nurturing, in renewing, and bringing about care for my entire creation. Listen to what the Bible says about this God, who Jesus said, by the way, my father is at work today, and I'm still at work today too. Look what, this, look what the passages say. Psalm 104, 24. How many are your works, O Lord? In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. These all look to you. You got to give them their food at the proper time. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they're satisfied with good things. When you send your spirit, you renew the face of the earth. Unless you just kind of want to read this as poetic flourish, like God kind of does this. What the author of, of, of Psalms is saying is, how, does, how do all the creations, creatures and creation get fed? How are they taken care of? How is the earth watered? And God goes, I do it. I do it. I do it. Keep going. Psalm 169, verse, uh, 65, verse 9. You care for the land and you water it, God. You enrich it abundantly. The streams of God are filled with water to provide the people with grain. And for so you have ordained it. Church, God says, who provides grain for the people? Who does? God does. God says, I provide the people with grain. The Bible says over and over again that God is the one that's meeting the needs of every human being. Keep going, keep going. Psalm 145, 13. The Lord is faithful and loving towards all he has made. The eyes all look to you and you give them their food. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. God goes, I didn't just create. God says, I'm in the process of restoring, renewing. I'm in the process of caring, nurturing. I'm in the process of making this world what I want it to be. Question, how does God do that? Answer, Bible says, through you and through me. Through our jobs. (laughs) Martin Luther who's been very helpful in the sermon series, and then I'll illustrate. Look at what he said. He said, all our struggle in the field, in the garden, in the city, in the home, in struggle, in government, to what does it all amount before God except child's play by means of which God is pleased to give his gifts in the field, at home, and everywhere. And he says this, sermon title for today, these are masks of our Lord God behind which he wants to be hidden to do all things. What does he say? He says, you and I go, Lord, give us this our daily bread. We just go, God provided. But how? Martin Luther says, 
when the cowgirl or milkmaid milks the cow, he says, that's God milking the cow. God doesn't have to do it that way. But God says, I'm milking the cow. When the baker bakes it, when the cook cooks it, when the transport transports it, when the farmer grows it, when the entire economic chain system works so that you and I sit at tables and go, God, we thank you for the food. God is saying, I'm providing that to meet your every daily need. Is that powerful? The question is, do you realize that? See, some of us will go out to eat today, and we'll be like, we thank you, Lord, for this food, if we pray. But do you know who we ought to be thankful for? Do you realize that it's the hostess who hosts you? It's the waitress who brings her food. It's the cook and the cook that's cooking it. It's the wholesalers that brought the food to that restaurant. It's the farmers who grew it, and the list goes on and on and on. Why? So that you and I can sit and go, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. And God says, I'm behind it all. Hidden, master God, to provide for your needs. Do you realize your job, your vocation, what you do, is ultimately God saying, I love and care for this world. Okay, one more example. Y'all are hard to read today. I don't know if you're tracking, if you're sitting there going, yeah, you're still not convincing me because my job doesn't matter. What I do doesn't matter. What I do doesn't matter. Let me just, I'm trying this way. I'm trying this way. Uh, I have to kind of write this down. Uh, I'm going to Columbia in two weeks to preach the gospel to 60 young professionals. These are some of the best and brightest young professionals all over the country of Columbia who are convening in Medellin because they have been taught as Christians that their job doesn't matter. They've been taught, good Christians, you go to missionary, you be a missionary, pastor, evangelist. So these are 20-something Colombians or 30-something Colombians who are saying, how does my job matter? And they're coming to this thing. But do you know what it takes for me, little old me, to travel to Colombia so that these 50, 60 people could hear the gospel about why their job matters? I jotted it down. To fly there, I bought my ticket on Kayak. Anybody familiar with Kayak? It's a website. Somebody designed it. Somebody designed a website where I can purchase my ticket and print it off. By the way, people at Kayak, guess who they deal with? They deal with banks and other credit card companies that process my order and information securely. Of course, this all depends on (laughs) reliable electric grid as well as computers and servers and wires and switches to enable the signals in our computers to get to the right place. They don't have it. I can't purchase my ticket. I can't purchase my ticket. I don't go to Columbia. People designed my computer, by the way. Beautiful Apple, Mac, thank you very much. (laughs) And the printed home by which I print out the ticket. Somebody had to make it, somebody had to market it, and there's a store where they sell it. And salespeople that actually help. Doesn't end there. In order to get there, I have to go to the Elon, California. When I get there, there's a nice little old lady who works at this store where I buy my chips and my drink because I don't want to pay $50 at the airport, thank you very much. So I buy that, and I'll actually get on a train. Oh, a train, yes, a train that was what? Built by somebody, designed by somebody, maintained by somebody. Oh, and it runs on tracks that was built by somebody, maintained by somebody, and hello, cleaned by somebody. And I'll get to the airport. I don't need this. I'll get to the airport, and I'll get off the train. And I'll actually walk, by the way, an airport that was what? Magically disappeared? Oh, no. Somebody had to design it, build it, and maintain it. 
So I'll get to the security line where a nice TSA agent, they're nice people, will actually check my ticket so that people that shouldn't get on a flight don't get on the flight. And I'll go through the security line. I'll be greeted by who? A flight attendant who will make my flight a joy. And then a pilot who, by the way, years of training, will actually fly this stinking plane so that I can get to Miami. I'll land in Miami, by the way, which is one of the filthiest airports I've ever seen in my life. And there are, there are hundreds and thousands of people that clean that airport every day. If it wasn't hygienic, we'd all die. There'd be germs and diseases. So I'll get to the airport, and guess what? I'll do the same thing on the next flight to my... And then I'll get to Medellin, Colombia. Well, guess what? I'll be picked up by Katie and Julio, who are driving a car. car that my people, Koreans, made, okay? Nicely Hyundai, all right? That was designed, built, and maintained, okay? They'll pick me up, and I'll wait back. We'll travel on a road. Hello? Airport is on top of a mountain. If they just disappear, people actually have to what? Pave that road, build that road, so cars could go on it. And taxpayers pay the money to keep that road maintained. I'll get in their car, we'll go down, and we'll go into the city. We'll go to stop at my favorite restaurant, where I'll order my favorite steak, churrasco. It's wonderful. And I'll get my red wine that was made, prepared, cooked by somebody. And we'll have a nice dinner, and I'll go with them to their house and sleep in their house comfortably that was built. Why? So that two weeks from now, I could preach the gospel to 60 young people that wonder, why does my job matter? Yeah, you could clap if you understand what that was all about. If any of those people show up at work and go, I don't want to work today. The pilot decides, I don't want to work today. I can't go. People don't hear the gospel. Somebody decides in Colombia, it's bad meat, but we don't like Asians. I'm just going to cook them bad meat. <laughs> I eat the bad meat. I'm bedridden for three days. I can't. You see my point? Do you realize what you do is how God. Now, here's the thing. You sit there going, oh, 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 what you do? You're going to preach the gospel, 60 people, that matters. What I do is not one iota more important than any one of these thousands of people that do their jobs. Amen? Do you realize you are part- God could heal miraculously, but how does he heal? Through doctors, nurses, medical professionals. God could teach, but how does God teach? Through teachers. God, could, God doesn't have to use parents to bring up the next generation. You know what I'm saying? He's pretty good. <sighs> bring up an entire generation of people. But what does he do? He utilizes what? Parents to do the work. If you do not realize that you are the mass of God, hidden in which God does his work, you will not look at your work and go, what I do matters. Good Lord. Look at your job right now and going, oh, it doesn't matter. I just, we just go, we just, 30, 40, we j- oh, wow. God's way of serving, caring for his creation. So what is, a couple practical implications, you guys, and then, and then one final point, we're done. One, begin where you are. Begin where you are. Everybody, look up here. Do you know, it's, it's backwards to ask Oh, hey, what should I do? God, I just want to, a vocation by definition is a calling, which means we don't choose our vocations, which means that God gives us a specific place, time, and a situation in which for that season and time, God desires for us to be there, to serve, and to be a conduit, to be a channel of his love. Listen, how many of you actually believe that where you are today is, it just happened? It just happened? Theism. God winds the clock, lets it go. 
Let me show you this passage that we meditated on last week that I think is just so important. Colossians 3.23. Everybody read this with me together. Ready? Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know that you will receive inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Do you see now what that means when it says you're serving Christ? See, people out there see a mom, a dad, an engineer, a teacher, and they just see an ordinary human life, and God goes, that's me behind there. And by the way, one other thing about this. i just press you a little bit. The Bible says over and over again, Jesus in the New Testament, if you're faithful with the little, I don't trust you with much. If you're faithful with what you think are insignificant things, I will entrust you with significant things. And I said this, if you're stuck in a dead-end job, one, you're not there by accident. God, out of his wisdom, says, it's not just about you. It's your way of serving and loving others. Secondly, you guys, common sense. If there's somebody here going, I'm going to do this job half-heartedly, why would I even care? Why would I even want to do this? Because I'm looking for the next big thing. God goes, if I can't even entrust you with what you think are insignificant things, why would I trust you with something that really matters? College students, I said this last week, come on, guys. All of us, when we're in college, we dream of the dream job and what we want to do. And then God's going, I've created you for something amazing, and I want to give that to you. But, man, you can't even manage your time. You're cramming and scrambling the night before every exam going, ah, which by the way, I'm going to talk in a couple of weeks. Big problem. Why? I'm going to tell you right now, look, you guys, do you, whatever you do, do it unto the Lord. Because wherever you are in this season, in this moment, is God saying, you're not just doing your job. You're being a channel of my love towards all my creation. Secondly, and this is huge, ask, what do people need? You guys, I offended some people last week when I said, don't ask, what am I good at? Americans, we go, what am I good at? What am I passionate about? What am I good at? What am I good at? And that's what we want to do. You guys, if you're 25 years old, you don't know what you're good at. Why? Why? The only way you know what you're really good at is if you've tried everything and you have like experience to go, I know certain things I'm good at, I know certain things I'm not. How much can you try in 25 years? Can I get an amen? Older things. <laughs> I'm 42 years old and maybe I'm just slow. But I'm 42 years old and I'm still wondering, I don't know what I'm good at. Which drives my wife nuts, by the way. I don't know what I'm good at. Why? Because I haven't tried everything, and I, have limited exp- I only have limited experience to go, these are things I'm good at, these are the not. And by the way, these aptitude tests don't even get me going on to aptitude tests about career vocation. Why? Aptitude tests are about what you think you're good at. Isn't that self-defeating? <laughs> I'm going to take me an aptitude test to see what I'm good at. See what I should do. I'm good at that. I'm not good at that. I'm good at that. It's based on what I experienced on what we think we're good at. Ask, listen, what? Does the human community need? What does the human community need? What can I do that serves the common good for everybody? What are things that I can do that would serve the greater good for all of God creation? What are the ways in which I can be serving that would make an impact in my world today? And by the way, most Christians, the way they think of this is to go, you know, Peter, and I just had a guy actually tell me that. It's just, 
my goal in life is to get a job that makes a lot of money because I want to give it a lot away. And you know what I said to him? I go, that's awesome. You go do that. Why? One of the ways the Bible keeps saying that we're stewards is the Bible says we're stewards of everything that we have. Everything that we have, we were stewards over. We're not owners. We're stewards. I know sometimes we think that we earn, merit it, and kind of work really hard for stuff. But let's, let's be honest. There are some factors that we have nothing to do with. Let me give you an example. Your brain. Do you have anything to do with your brain, about how you, smart you are, or, or the brain that you got? About your family, family that you grew up in? Do you have anything to do with the family you grew up in? Because it appears to me that it makes a big difference if you grew up in a certain family that gives you a leg up, right? What about life experiences, temperament, personality, certain things, circumstances, network that happen? There are a host of things that are way beyond our control. And so when we think, I own everything and I'm going to utilize the way I want to, God comes along and says, you're a steward of everything that you have. So if you're a steward and your perspective isn't, I own it, but your perspective is, I'm a steward, I'm a manager. These are things that God has given me and I need to utilize and use it for the common good. It'll make you generous. You won't sit there and go, this is mine. It'll make you generous. But don't wait until you make a lot of money to give. Ask yourself this question. What can you do as you look for your next child vocation? What can I do that would serve the common good? What can I do today that would serve the most people? I'm telling you guys, listen, all of my counseling sessions, I ask the people, I go, if how much money you made was not an issue and you genuinely believe that God has given you gifts to meet a human community, would that be easier to find a job? Majority of the honest people go, yes. And say, the reason why I'm having a hard time, Pastor Peter, is because how much money I make and what I do is about my significance, which we'll get to here. The last point that Genesis teaches us, God matters to your work. Not only does your work matter to God, but God matters to your work. There's a thing that I love, you guys, about this passage. Um, so Genesis, Genesis 1 and 2, you see this, this, this dynamic. God creates and he goes, oh, that's good. God creates and then he goes, oh, that's good. God creates and he goes, oh, that's good. And then Genesis 2, 2, God creates everything and he goes, ah, oh, it's very good. And then he rested. Why does God rest? Does God get tired? It'd be a problem if you got tired. <laughs> God doesn't get tired. Why does God rest? See, we think of resting as, and I know mom's in here, we think of, rest, we think of resting as ceasing from work, right? We think of resting as just no longer doing work. But that's not what we see about God resting. You know what resting means? When God goes, he creates everything, he goes, oh, that's good. He walked away. Resting is to walk away from something and saying, I am completely and totally satisfied with what's been done. Resting is to go, my job, I am completely and totally satisfied with what's been done. So I'm going to stop. That's what God does. Do you know why you and I can never rest? We are never satisfied with what's been done. Hello? We are never satisfied with what's been done. We can't, whether you're a parent or a teacher, no matter what your job is, we, none of us, none, I mean that, none of us do our job and we go, I am totally and utterly satisfied with what's been done. So, I'm good. We can't. You know why? Because it's not just work. There is work underneath the work. 
What are you talking about, Peter? Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9. There remains in a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter into that rest. The author of Hebrews is telling us something absolutely, amazingly mind-blowing. He is saying that there is work underneath the work. That's why you're so tired, and I'm so tired. It's not just work. There's work up here. I do the work, external work, physical work. But the author of Hebrews says, there's work underneath the work. And that work says, I'm never satisfied. I'm never satisfied. It's rocky. Rocky. The first one. because the Second and third one. He can't even make. That's terrible. First Rocky. The night before his big fight with Apollo Creed, Rocky says to his wife, I got to go the distance, Adrian. I got to go the distance. Adrian goes, why? Rocky says, what? Because that's the only way that I'll know I'm not a bum. Rocky, why are you working so hard? Why are you working so hard? Why can't you stop? You've done enough training. Why are you working so hard? Because if I don't do this, I'm a bum. Eric Liddell, Harold Abrams, Chariots of Fire. Harold Abrams, world-class sprinter. And somebody asks him, he says, why do you work so hard? Why are you never satisfied? He says, what? He says, I have 10 seconds to justify my existence. seconds for me to justify why I live, justify why I matter, justify why I'm significant, justify why my life has meaning. Ten seconds. Eric Liddell, world-class runner. But his race, medal race, is on Sunday. And Eric Liddell says, I'm not going to run. You've trained all your life for this. It's okay. I rest on Sabbath. Harold Abrams gets the medal that he wants, and he says, this is it. This is it. Eric Liddell misses the race. And he says, what? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Missing the race, getting the medal, that's not why I run. I run because when I run, I feel God's pleasure. One more example. <laughs> this lady, some of you may see if you know who she is. It's a singer-songwriter, actress, and entrepreneur. She has an estimated worth $650 million dollars. She sold more than 300 million records worldwide, is recognized as the world's top-selling female recording artist of all time by the Guinness Book of World Records. Her live concerts have made 1 billion over the course of 30 1 billion with the B over the course of 30 years. Do you know who I'm, do you know who this is? It's Madonna. An interview with Vanity Fair. This is what she exposes her heart and she says, I have an iron will, and all my will has always been devoted to conquering some horrible feeling of inadequacy. I'm always struggling with that fear. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being of worth, and then I get to another stage, and I think I'm mediocre and uninteresting and worthless, and I have to find a way to get myself out of that again and again. My drive in life is from this horrible feeling of being inadequate and mediocre and it's always pushing me and it's pushing me and it's pushing me because even though I have become somebody, I have to prove that I am somebody. My struggle has never ended and it probably never will. There's work. And then there's underneath that work, work. Human, it's not just, stop being so naive. It's not just work. You're looking at that work and saying, if I don't do that, 
I'm a bum. If I don't do that, my life doesn't matter. If I don't do that, I can't stop feeling mediocre, inadequate, insignificant. And so we work and we work and we work and we can never step back and go, I'm completely satisfied. And don't just think of some 25-year-old working 80 hours killing himself and his marriage. You're a teacher. Why do you teach? Because this Because I teach, I know that I matter. Because I teach, I know that I'm significant. Because I teach, I know that my existence matters. And you're tired. You're burnt out. You're resentful, moms and dads. It's not just about parenting. It's about what? Unless my child does well, my life is meaningless. Are you hearing me? There is work underneath the work. And if you don't get a handle on this work underneath the work, it doesn't matter how much money you make. It doesn't matter how much status you have. It doesn't matter because at the end of the day, you'll never stop. You'll never rest. You'll never seize the restlessness of your soul. That says, why do I matter? Why do I matter? Why do I matter? The heart of Hebrews saying, what's going to quench that voice? What's going to still the restlessness? What's going to still that thing inside of you that says, I got to do it. 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 What's going to rest? That voice is, author of Hebrews says, Jesus Christ is your Sabbath rest. (laughs) If you find approval in work, you're going to work yourself to death. If you find security because people actually think you're good at what you do and they appreciate you and that's what keeps you going, you're going to go resentful. Do you know the worst thing about doing this without the rest of Jesus is at the end of the day, it's not about anyone else but us. So think of how convoluted this is that we're taking this amazing gift, the calling of God to the massive God in which God, God works in a hidden way, this way of serving and loving. We take that. And basically what we're doing is, oh, it no longer becomes about other people. Oh, no, it's all about me. And we become really big. When we become really big, our lives become really small. Work underneath the work. Work underneath the work. Work underneath the work. If Jesus Christ isn't your approval, if Jesus Christ isn't your significance, if Jesus Christ isn't your identity, if Jesus Christ isn't your rest, the restlessness of your soul, the restlessness of your soul, a billion dollars in concert, 300 million albums, uh, uh, wages, whatever she did. Someone who, people would look and go, they got everything. And she says, I can't stop working. You guys. Is this, does this resonate with anybody? Like, no, I'm serious. Like, are you sitting there right now and going, that's me, Peter. You're talking about me right now. I'm a student, but the desire and drive to get good grade, not for the glory of God, but all these other things, it's killing me. I'm working right now, but this job, 
It's my identity. It's my security. It's, it's my meaning in life. Some of you, frankly, you're in dead-end jobs, but you're literally working it so that you can make a lot of... It's got nothing to do with serving other people and being channels of God's love. It's about where and how much. And all of us are just tired and worn out and distracted. There is provided for the people of God Sabbath rest. And His name, His name, His name is Jesus. Make Jesus your Sabbath. Make Jesus not what you do, not your job, not your dream job that you want at some point. Make Jesus your rest, your Sabbath. He alone could still the restlessness. And God, for my church family, as they leave this place, and the morning they wake up tomorrow, may they hear your voice that says, I've created you in my image. I've given you gifts and talents and abilities to be channels of my love, to be masks of God. But where you are, the moment that you wake up tomorrow morning is exactly where I have placed you for this season, for this time. Be faithful. Be found trustworthy. Be found faithful. Be found trustworthy. Whatever you do, do it with all your heart as if working for the Lord. For it is Jesus you are serving. May the Lord and the Spirit go before you, go behind you, and go beside you. And Lord willing, until we see each other again, be the masks of God through whom the world will see his hands and his feet and his face. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, and all God's people said, amen. Have a great week, you guys. We'll see you back here next Sunday.